Welcome to Watso Radio. This is Isaac, just with a little bit of an intro before we get into the episode. First, I just wanted to say I hope you've been enjoying the podcast. I love knowing that all my episodes of Discovering Disney that are released, you know, or the occasional Discovering DreamWorks can be accessible for all of you, no matter if you watch or listen. The magic just can't be contained to video any longer. Also, I just wanted to say I would really appreciate it if you considered supporting my Patreon. Over there, you can get access to the exclusive Discord server where you can come have conversations with me. You can also become a producer to get your name in every episode I publish over on YouTube and the exclusive show Behind the Magic where I talk all about what it's like to be a content creator. The link is down below. Please consider supporting if you have the means and want to see my magical content grow and live as long as it possibly can. Hello fun people, I'm Isaac Carlson and on Following Dreams, I'm focused on exploring the stories of people who are following their passions and achieving their dreams. I want to help inspire you to pursue what you love by hearing how others have done it. Today, I'm speaking to a woman who has worked on projects from Teen Titans Go and Smallfoot to Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure. She's risen from story trainee to storyboard artist and is currently a director for Pixar's first series coming to Disney Plus, Monsters at Work. If you'd like to check out her art, you can check out her Instagram linked down below welcome caitlin ritter hi it's so nice to be here thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me so yeah excited. absolutely <laughs> yeah also, I don't know if my background is like censoring my tattoo but there's nothing unsavory here we're just <laughs> fancy with a cool blurred background but he's just a guy he's just a dragon so <laughs> i'm like it's Feels like this is like under NDA or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I totally know what you're talking about. But yeah, I was like, yeah, it's it's just the <laughs> it's just the stylization in Skype, everyone. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, it's it's such a pleasure to have you on. It was super exciting. Um, that after after I talked to Steve, he was like, oh, I know someone else who worked on Tangled, and now who I work with, it'd be perfect to be on. So it was awesome to be able to chat with you today. That's so sweet. Steve's the best. I love Steve. He's just <laughs> So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, like I said, I know you talked with Tom Caulfield and Ricky Roxborough, and they're dear friends. And yeah, I love those guys. So mm -hmm. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, great, great. Well, to get things started, the first question I always like to ask is, what are you passionate about? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> character. I think character, you know, more and more um, as, you know, my career evolves and as people ask me, like, what do you want to make? And like, what do you care about? What sort of projects are you looking? You know, I'm being asked those questions now, which is super new. Uh, for me to ask, like, what what do you want to do? You know, um, I always come back to character. I just feel like you can do anything with a great cast of characters, a strong, you know, character and character interaction, character growth, taking characters, building them up, breaking them down. Like, I love it. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's always about character first. Um, and as as soon as I'm in, you know, with whoever we're following, like once I'm in with that character, we could do anything like and I'm down for it. You know, I just got to love that character. Um, so, yeah, I'm I've made no secret of who my favorite Tangled character is. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who knows who I am knows. Um, and I've just had a really like fortunate experience in my career so far with like landing on projects with really fun protagonists. You know, Rapunzel, mm -hmm. obviously the best. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. it you know, in that world with her and follow her adventures and certainly adding, you know, Eugene, love Eugene, my favorite, um, is my second favorite to Varian. <laughs> um, 
yeah, and then Varian and Cassandra, just such a great cast of characters. You know, when I was on Smallfoot, very different movie, actually, um, as it turned out from when I was working on it, you know, as mm-hmm. is the nature of feature storytelling. But Migo um, was always such a wonderful character. You know, um, when I was on that movie, it was still when Sergio Pablos was uh, very much attached to the project. Um, it was his pitch, uh, his con- his concept initially. And yeah, I mean, that guy, master class in character, right, with Klaus and everything that he's done. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then, yeah, of course, um, Monsters at Work is what I'm on now. Same deal. I love this cast of characters. Like, I am so excited for the world to, like, meet this new cast of characters. Mm-hmm. So, totally 100% character for me. Oh, <clears throat> well, that, that makes me really excited then. Like, yeah. knowing that you're taking that, like passion from other projects and bring it to monsters at work like monsters monsters inc is easily one of my favorite pixar worlds and so i'm really excited to see it explored i was so excited to be brought onto the project um yeah it's my favorite pixar movie um so yeah i'm (laughs) i feel really proud and really happy with this cast of characters because i feel like they really have earned their space in this universe Mm -hmm. and like their characters i constantly want to like get back to in the stories and like you know I just love them I love seeing them on screen and they fit so well in the world and I'm just so I I don't think I've ever been like I've been pretty excited about some projects but I've never been like this like hyped up about something that hasn't come out yet so um cannot wait (laughs) (laughs) that's really exciting to hear oh it's kind of like especially in the world of animation it's really there's so much like ability to create any world or tell any story that you want. So it really has to be like the characters that you're talking yes. about. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could do anything. I mean, I really feel like a strong character. You can put them in any situation with believability, as long as you are true to who that character has presented themselves to be and what made us love that character in the first place. So like mm-hmm. truth and character for me just buys you the ability to do anything story-wise and yep. I just think that's fun that's so fun like now we can do anything <laughs> who our protagonist is and what they will and won't do and you know like yeah and mm-hmm. testing them and you know I, I love it so yeah definitely mm-hmm. <laughs> truth to character resonates with me a lot too because I feel like in recent years we've gotten a lot of stories in mainstream projects that really like push beyond what characters are supposed or what people believed them to be or believed what they were going to do next. And so I, I also really appreciate hearing that, that it's like keeping the the core of their character alive as they keep making difficult decisions is. Yeah. And, you know, like people um, are, you know, a spectrum, you know, are, are gray, like growing characters beyond what we initially, you know, maybe knew them to be like, there's so mm-hmm. much good content for that type of storytelling as well. You know, like certainly again, a character like Varian for me, I love because, you know, I remember Shane Prigmore um, who first designed that character, you know, he, the concept um, when he pitched that character to me, I, I was like instantly in love before I even knew what he was. <laughs> sign or who was voicing him or anything I loved that character because Shane was like you know I just feel like I want to take this kid right like I think he was even younger initially when Mm -hmm. Shane was conceiving of the character like 11 or 12 he's like you know just this kid who's you know kind of like you know baggy and insecure but like has all this great potential and you know like constantly pushing hair out of his face and like you know just this kid right and like 
turn him into something like really dark and tragic and like you know then the bangs kind of fall over the eyes and it's like he takes on this different kind of persona and you're kind of just left like wow like they really like evolved this you know lovable cute clumsy kid to this like serious threat who's very tragic and who you feel you know very compelled to like you want to root for him to get back to like sort of where he was or evolve <laughs> beyond it and so like the mm-hmm. challenge of working with a character like that was so exciting to me like that was the first like episode proper because I, I did the um decom movie with tangled first but then the first episode proper that i was launched on was what the hair which is his you know intro episode so i was like salivating to get you know just <laughs> delve into this character and start working with him um because yeah that evolution was like I knew it was going to be a challenge to really hit home with something like that you know in a believable way um and in a way that where you would still love him you know and be able to forgive him the way Rapunzel forgives him so that was just such a fun thing I I live for it like that's my (laughs) my cup of tea (laughs) so yeah yeah and I think it was executed in a really great way where I mean especially in season two when he like was left back in Corona. So many, it's, you could tell people were current, like that wanting him. Was, that was so hard for me too, personally. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I was like, I, I was craving just like one episode in Corona where we <laughs> something going on with Varian. Um, but you know, it serviced us later just in that by the time it was revealed, you know, top of season three, it's like, <gasps> like, oh my gosh. And like, he's been, you know, <laughs> And there's sort of all this sort of off-screen believability about like how even he's fallen further, you know, than last time. And still to be able to wrap up, um, you know, getting his character, not wrap up, but, you know, getting him starting back on the path, you know, to redemption within the same episode as, you know, introducing him as even more of a threat than we left him, you know, in season one as like, that was cool to me. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It was just it's a really nice moment. Um, Anna Lencioni, friend of mine, boarded in the the prison cell with, you know, Rapunzel and Varian and their conversation. Like, that was, I wish it could have been a song. That's like, oh, oh, like, oh I, yeah. I wanted so badly for the two of them to, like, have a conversation that was a song somehow in that cell. But it's such a great moment. And, um, you know, it's true. Like, it's true. It's I have this thing you know, with whenever I can contribute, you know, in a story room to truth, like just coming from a place of truth, like sometimes, you know, you kind of get hung up on like the, oh, well, we need this to facilitate plot, you know, and we need this character to do this so that later in the series, they can do that. And it's like, you just have to like find root in truth. And that scene just plays very true to me. Like, that's how people talk. That's how friends talk, you know, people at odds. So any time that like that truth kind of came through in the show was like my favorite, you know, those are my favorite moments of the show. Um, Eugene and Rapunzel have so much great stuff too. Um, as a, like Eugene is such a shining example of like what a true Disney prince is to me. Like he's so proud of how he's written in the series. Like he's just so supportive of her and, you know, calling her sunshine. That was something Ricky Roxborough was always pushing for was, you know, Blondie's a name of the past, you know, like that's what he called her in the movie when it was kind of like, you know, off the cuff, like I'm distancing myself from your real name and real names and identity. So sunshine is like what she is to him. And like, I don't know. I, I love, love that stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sweet and it's true. Yeah. <laughs> like really, really their relationship, especially through Tangled the series, I feel like is the most fleshed out and realistic 
portrayal of a relationship that we've seen in like, especially uh, an official Disney princess couple. (laughs) See, yeah, I agree. I mean, and a lot of that is just on the basis of having the time, you know, with television. I mean, that Mm -hmm. was such, you know, a benefit, you know, one of the benefits to it being a series was really getting to see the evolution of that relationship and see the on-screen time of them just being together and navigating things in the relationship. Like that's, yeah, you don't really get that time in a movie. You know, you kind of just use that time in a feature to sell the idea that you want these people to be together. So you Mm -hmm. don't really get to see them go through it, you know, as a couple. Um, So yeah, I, there's like that one moment I cannot remember. I want to say it was Shane Zalvin's episode for sure. Um, where Rapunzel starts crying in the little library nook um, and oh, Eugene yeah. kind of climbs up to join her. And like that moment just makes me cry. Like it's just <laughs> so soft and sweet with her. And it's just like, that's so true to Eugene's character. That's something Zach Levi super cared about. Like anytime Zach Levi felt like we were writing Eugene in a way that was like for script and not for character, he would say so. Like he cares very, very much about Eugene and, you know, the integrity of Eugene's character and how much he loves this woman. So like that was just such a blessing to like a witness. I don't know. <laughs> someone who loves Disney, you know, grew up on, you know, Disney princess food, like this is sustaining me. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And that that makes me feel really happy too because I've loved Zachary Levi since like he was on NBC's Chuck. So it's so cool to see him continue on. Uh. So going back a little bit, what initially led you to discover that you wanted to pursue creating art and developing stories? What was the moment you finally realized this passion could be your career or was your career? Yeah. Um, it's a very specific memory of me in, like, I always drew, you know, like it's that typical, like ever since I could hold a crayon, like, (laughs) I mean, like I always love to draw, but I think the very, like I had two moments. One was in my best friend's rec room watching the nightmare before Christmas while the rest of my friends, I was with my friend's mom and (laughs) the rest of my friends, the rest of the sleepover party was watching like the parent trap in another room. And I just, was so transfixed by the nightmare before Christmas and the movement and the characters and Jack, like I loved Jack. I thought he was so cool. I love Halloween. So yeah, I was, I just was glued. And so like, that was my first like real infatuation, I think. But the moment I really realized, Oh, people do this. Like there are people who make these things that I love and I want to know more about it was, um, I had a, a cousin who was working at Nickelodeon who happened to get his hands on an early edition VHS of the pilot for Invader Zim. And he was like, I feel like you're going to like this show. (laughs) Weird, hyperactive little goth kid. And I was like, oh, okay. So like I plugged it in and like I watched it and I rewound it. I rewatched it over and over and over. And I would watch it all the way through the credits because the music was cool. And like, I just started reading the names and asking myself, like, well, what is the director? Like, what is, you know, like, what do these people do? And I was probably like, I don't know, 11 or 12 at that time. So like, that was about the time where I started putting it together that there was a crew and like, there were different positions. And then I wanted to know, well, who voices Zim? Oh, it's the same guy that does, you know, Daggett and Billy from Billy and Mandy. And whoa, like there's mm-hmm. people, that's their whole job. And like, I just kind of <laughs> the math on it all. And like, those were like the sort of like little goth kid roots. <laughs> My journey, I think, was um, just content that I thought was fun, you know, growing up. And I actually really became very interested in 
you know, the who of it all at, at that point. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, then it was just, um, you know, online, you know, we've seen, you know, since I've grown up, like I, you know, I was there kind of as the internet was evolving and, um, you know, when I was really young, I was on DeviantArt and like talking to artists and, you know, meeting people who were working um, industry professionals or who were, you know, at CalArts or other art schools. And, you know, like 16 year old me is like interacting in the same space as these people. And I through, you know, following these people and talking with these people uh, was told about the CalArts um, summer program. So the CISA program, Cal- I forget what the full acronym is. Um, <laughs> and how I should pursue animation. You know, if I love to draw so much, I was drawing so much fan art. My deviant art was almost exclusively Nightmare Before Christmas Teen Titans <laughs> fan art. <laughs> so, you know, I loved writing fan fictions. And that was, I mean, my roots are in fandom. Like, I grew up a fan of these things. I grew up, Disney was my food. And then, you know, mm-hmm. like, things like, yeah, Teen Titans stuff on Cartoon Network, cartoons. Um, so I, my way to contribute, you know, was fan fiction and then somebody posed the idea of studying and becoming one of those people who makes those things and I was like like I just hadn't thought of it like that and so um I did apply for that program when I was 16 got accepted I went out to the CalArts campus and I stayed there I think it was a two-month program and did all kinds of different education meta it was my first like I'm from New Jersey so I went all the way to California my mom cried when she dropped me off it was very (laughs) only 16 years old. So I had my mm-hmm. sweet 16 out there at a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> dirty kid I was. I mean, my birthday is this like coming Tuesday and my, my girlfriend just threw like a party for me like the other day and my cake is like totally D and D themed. So like we're, we're on brand. <laughs> it's just how I yep. am. But Chuck e. Cheese studied all this amazing stuff, you know, got to walk around CalArts, really kind of learn a lot more about animation, do life drawing, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think that really like solidified for me, like, this is what I want to do. Like, this feels like my world. This is the type of stuff I want to do every day. Um, So that really kind of got me invested in, you know, looking into an education and animation and, and getting a little more serious about it and starting to do, you know, more life drawing, more original you know, storytelling ideas and things like that. And, you know, that ultimately led me to, I ended up going to the Savannah College of Art and Design's East Coast School. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was there for four years. I worked very closely with a professor um, named John Weber, who is also Disney feature alumni. He was an animator back in the day um, for Disney Studios, CalArts grad. And uh, yeah, like he and I just kind of, the big thing we did was workshop my portfolio because you know like a lot of the classes they'll give you the fundamentals right like they'll give you exercises assignments and you'll do them but I didn't necessarily feel like those were portfolio pieces they were more just like for me to learn right and so like then it's supposed to be you take those lessons and you apply them to your work and to what you want to do so that was what I felt like I was lacking, right? I didn't want to just put my class assignments in my portfolio and call it a day. I didn't think that was going to get me a job. So yep. I started talking to John about like, what, what's like, I should have like a project or something. And he helped me develop like this little original story. And I did character designs for it. I did some backgrounds, some beat boards, some storyboards. And I kind of just made like a little, like not like a pitch Bible, but like almost like a portfolio just based on, this original concept. And that was at a time when I was still 
kind of trying to see where I fit within animation because that was like a big part of college education too, right? Is figuring out like what part of the pipeline am I really attached to? Is it, you know, the writing or, you know, the vis dev, the storyboarding, the animation, like what do I really want to focus on? And so college was a good time for me to sort that part out. Um, and I got a lot of feedback um, from like Disney Feature, Blue Sky, all the visiting sort of studios and story just seemed to be where I clicked. Like it's it's quick, you know, it's like, quick and dirty, fast, you know, just kind of like character, throw it up on the wall, see if it sticks and, you know, mm -hmm. break it down when it doesn't keep trying, keep evolving until you find, you know, the best version of the story. And that just really appealed to me. Um, so, you know, cause I was a little too impatient for illustration. Like I do love it, you know, as a hobby, uh -huh. but like, I was just like, I just want to get the idea out, you know, was sort of how I felt about it. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, John really helped me, I think hone, you know, that into my portfolio and get that out there. And, um, yeah, right after, uh, SCAD, I ended up getting that internship, uh, with Blue Sky Animation Studios, um, the traineeship and went over there and just immediately kind of got thrown into it, did some exploratory stuff for the Peanuts movie for Rio two, um, lots of just kind of exercises, had a lot of really great mentors there. So yeah, that kind of like, that was sort of the journey to like <laughs> starting. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I, t I, it's really cool hearing about how, like, you knew that once, once you decided you wanted to be in the industry that then it was like difficult finding your path in it. I feel like that would be like a really overwhelming thing because especially just like watching bonus features and everything, it just seems yeah. like there's the animators, the directors and like the writers, but what, there's a lot of, a lot of people involved. There are so many people involved and, mm -hmm. um, you know, monsters at work is sort of, um, it's like a weird, it's a very unique, like feature television sort of hybrid. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's never been more apparent to me in any other job. I think like I've always had an awareness of course of how important everybody's job is, but just like, I've never been so up close and personal with so many different departments as I have on this particular project. Sure. So yeah, absolutely. There's, there's so many things like so many jobs to occupy in the 3d space in the 2d space in the yeah writing like all of it and it can be overwhelming yeah like a hundred percent and um you know i i think that college time being the time where i was really able to ask myself those questions and kind of figure it out um and you know a little bit of time after school too i think even just like am i sure like am i sure this is what i want to really like focus on because I want my portfolio to feel very focused. I want them to, you know, when somebody hires me to know that like, this is what their thing is. This is what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like it's, and it's, I think it's important to try a lot of different things, you know, in college and, and just see, cause like you might surprise yourself. Like I actually think I, I was pretty sure I wanted to do character design for like a, a good while. And then I just hadn't storyboarded before, you know, like I just hadn't done it. And as soon as I got into that, I was like, but I love like, I love like storytelling. Like I love the character. Like I, I like how I'm able to tell stories through storyboarding specifically. Like that was the thing I didn't know I loved, you know, until I really sat down and tried it. And then, you know, pushing your, your skill set within that area of focus is like, becomes like the next challenge. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. it was, but yeah, I mean, all of animation is so great. Like it's, you know, be a pleasure to pursue any part of it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> was it difficult transitioning from the college atmosphere to the, um, into the actual like 
company of like blue sky like right and did you immediately kind of fall into like storyboarding and doing that based off of how your portfolio was shown to them and everything yeah i mean i felt and i think i was like pretty behind the other trainees just in terms of like how much boarding i had done prior to the job mm. um you know CalArts is structured quite differently than scad um scad you have like your magnum opus but this is how it was when i was there i think it's pretty different now actually um but when i was there it was like you made one one serious senior film right CalArts curriculum, you make a film every year. So you're kind of going <laughs> through the process. Yeah, it's you know, pros and cons to each, right? For sure. But yeah. you're, you're going through that process annually and evolving the process annually. Um, mm. So there's absolutely benefits to that. You're kind of doing everything in repetition. And I think you're going to find, you know, what you really like as you have to do everything. And there are parts <laughs> naturally that you're like, I don't want to do this part, but I love this part. can't wait to, you know, for me, it would be like, oh, I love designing and boarding it, but animating it, I have no patience. And yeah, that's where I really struggled was in animation. Um, and, you know, but with SCAD, it was sort of like you could sign up to be a part of people's films and just do the thing that you loved. So, um, mm you know, like I just didn't have the repetitious sort of experience with boarding. So for me, it actually felt like I got thrown into oncoming traffic. <laughs> like I was like, oh, here we go. Like I just, and I, I really learned a lot at that job. Um, mm. Just basic like stuff, you know, really, really, truly basic fundamentals of storyboarding and, you know, shot choices and when to cut and what books to read to study it further and how you can take lessons from film. Um, one of my favorite one of the things I still use, like every time I board is, um, you know, there's always, it, you have a tendency, I think sometimes to be very aware of the box in storyboarding, you know, the box being the screen or, you know, the edges and all that. And that was much more of a thing when we had like very boxy TVs because you had yeah. to focus on the square, right? Make sure that everything important is happening inside the square because they're going to cut these edges off of <laughs> that part of the screen. And, you know, naturally, cinematically, you want to actually favor a side of the screen in your cinematic storytelling, you know, just mm -hmm. for visual interest and clarity of, you know, who's where in the scene. So, um, you know, there's a tendency sometimes to get really tight and claustrophobic. You can kind of lose yourself inside the box and then you, you can't breathe. So I had that problem. Absolutely. When I started boarding and I was constantly getting the feedback to like, just widen out 30%. When you're done with the scene, go take your camera and widen out like 30% across the board and it'll make it feel so much, you know, grander and you'll be able to breathe. And so I was like, okay, but it was still hard for me to like really wrap my brain around what that meant until my mentor, Mike Daly showed me, he had a layer um, in Photoshop that was a movie theater audience that it was just mm -hmm. like the silhouetted black, you know, back of the heads of a movie theater audience. And he turned it on, you know, at the bottom of the box and instantly became a movie theater. And he was like, do you see how close you are to this character? You know, how claustrophobic the shot feels. Look at, imagine it big, you know, on a huge screen. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like, it like blew my mind. I was like, that's crazy. Like I didn't think about it like that. And it's still, yeah, like a tool that I use all the time just to remind myself, like breathe, you know, give the audience room, you know, it's it's a big screen, right? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, like just, I don't know, so many great lessons from that time. But I definitely um, think that for me, that was very much a time of learning, less a time of doing the job, you know? So yeah. I was so fortunate to 
to be able to pitch, you know, ideas for movies and, you know, do little scenes here and there. Um, but it was definitely, I think, just like, all right, we've got training wheels on. And you're like, all right, go into the track. <laughs> you go. Like, I was, I had a lot to learn still at that point. Um, and truly, like, I think, you know, there's only so much school and, you know, what you do on your own can really prepare you for. Like, I think mm -hmm. at a certain point, you know, it's about being given the chance and you do kind of have to learn on the job some things because even from, you know, production to production, the way things are run, the expectations, the needs of the boards are very different. Um, certainly between feature and television, but even from, you know, television show to television show, like what work I do on Monsters is extremely different than what I was doing on Tangled. Um, so it's there's a degree there's always going to be the the fundamentals and the foundation and those things like you know cinematic language and shot choices and hookups and understanding you know the, sort of the vernacular of storyboarding but there's mm -hmm. so much you know minutiae that's like different <laughs> that varies so yeah but that experience for sure felt like okay i'm in it now here we go <laughs> like mm -hmm. i'm gonna yeah do my best and you know, I was just so fortunate to have the mentors that I had um, at that studio. It was a really positive experience. <clears throat> that's, that's great to hear. So once once you got into it more, what was the day-to-day -day like of being a storyboard artist? Like, how yeah. did you know what to, what to make each day? Yeah, it was, I mean, that particular experience, um, you know, we had some assignments here and there. And a lot of it was, for me, was thinking first. It was before you really get in and start drawing and executing. It was like planning out the scene, thinking of the intention of the scene. How does this scene fit into the larger picture? You know, is there anything I can add to this scene that might foreshadow something to come or, you know, like hook up to something, you know, that's sort of a through line in the whole film, right? Um, so thumbnailing was a big part of it and pitching thumbnails to fellow board artists, to my mentor, you know, just conversating in the room with the story team, pitching ideas to one another. Collaboration is mm. the grease of the machine in this industry. <laughs> you just gotta talk to people. And so I think it was for me, it was like, I was pretty comfortable, you know, from critique and stuff uh, and everything from college, you know, talking to people. But I know a lot of people aren't, you know, artists are, you know, a spectrum, of course, and there are a lot of introverts, a lot of people that just like to sit and draw. Um, but, you know, the thing about animation is you really have to separate yourself. You know, it's important to put your, yourself in your work. But when it comes to reviewing the work objectively and deciding, is it good for the whole, for the project, you really have to pull yourself out of it. And I think this was not a lesson in it, but a reaffirmation of that to me that like, this is what it is like. It's not just school where it's, you know, a room of your peers and your professors that is preparing you for the big room. That's very scary for the first time. <laughs> you're 21 years old and you have to get up in front of the director of a movie <laughs> and pray that people laugh, you know, so it can be very intimidating. And I think <laughs> that was the thing I had to calibrate myself for like the most, you know, was just the idea of pitching. Um, there's a big difference, I think, between for me, there was um, when I would pitch my work in class or just kind of talk about, well, this is what my intentions were. And, you know, like, what do you, I don't know, like, what do you guys think? Like you, there's this sort of like, you kind of have to like bring some confidence to what you're presenting um, mm -hmm. or be very candid and be like, I don't know if this works. This is just kind of what I was thinking. What do you guys think? And really throw it out to the room, you know, cause they're there to support you. They're your team. Right. Mm -hmm. um, 
when you pitch, I mean, that's even still working today. Like, I think the biggest thing I, I wish there was more support or education in pitching, um, your content and really just being okay with being silly and broad and like doing the voices and the sound effects and like really timing it out to sort of set yourself up for success, right? Mm -hmm. Like really help the audience, you know, whoever's watching, see what your intention really is. So you don't have to stand there and say, oh, well, my intention was this, like, it's just coming across, right? So that was like, something I had just never had to do before. Um, Mm -hmm. But then it was really just like, cool, I get to just live in this creative space of like, trying to figure out like, what's the best way to tell this story. And I have a team of really cool people, you know, it wasn't too unlike college that way, where you're talking to your friends about like, oh, I'm thinking of this for my film. And is this funny? Or does the shot look weird? Like, it's very collaborative. And I think a good art school will set you up for that collaborative process and kind of start trying to like help you get familiar with what that's like and how you fit into it. So yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. That. Oh yeah. That sounds so fun. I just picture like all the boardrooms <laughs> or like the, the sh- like the little theaters where the, I've seen in like different behind the scenes stuff. It it sounds so cool. It's so fun to be able to be a part of. Also, yes, it is so much fun and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It is just, it feels like I cheated life somehow getting into (laughs) for my job, honestly, because it's what I would do. It's what I do for fun anyway. (laughs) When I'm Mm -hmm. not drawing, I'm drawing, (laughs) you know, when I'm not telling the story for work, I'm telling a story for fun or for myself. And so, you know, the other thing too, um, is it never gets less intimidating. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, <laughs> is always an inherent fear. I think not fear. That's not the word to use. It's really just, you're always going to care. You're always going to care, I think, about, you know, how it's, if it's working and have you serviced the project? And is this like, not right, but are you going in the right direction? And like, the, I think there's sort of a natural anxiety almost that comes with that just as somebody who's creating and who cares, right? So mm-hmm. that doesn't go away, no matter how big I think you get. Like, Because even by the time you're through on production, it's like, will the world like it? Will it really resonate the way that we've all hoped and been dreaming it will resonate, you know, <laughs> even work? And I know that was certainly a fear that I had with like the moment with Varian's dad, you know, that I boarded. I was like, gosh, like, what if this is too sad? (laughs) What if this is really hard to watch? What if people don't like, you know, that Varian goes dark? Like I had liked it um, because I knew where we were going with it. But I didn't think at the time about all the people that loved him that were just going to think they're just turning him into the bad guy. Oh, my gosh. Like, you know, because they didn't know what was coming around the corner with the, you know, sort of sophisticated, you know, rebirth of this character. So and the Mm -hmm. redemption. So um, that fear doesn't leave. <laughs> Again, I think if you really care, you know, that it's always a little there, but you, you want to do right, you know, at the same time by the project, by the fans, you know, so that's mm-hmm. incentive enough to care, to continue to care anyway, face the fear, embrace yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. You don't know how, how patient people are going to be or how like reactionary they'll be in which way. Yeah. I, uh... I was like, man, I wonder if like by the time that people, you know, like finish season two and Varian's not in it. Will they even watch season three? <laughs> you know, um, certainly things that happened with Cassandra, I knew would be very polarizing for people. And there was, you know, a lot of like, Ooh, like how are people going to feel about that? And, you know, Rapunzel continuing to reject Eugene and stuff. It's, it's like every, 
you know, kind of decision that you make like that. Um, you, you, especially in TV, you have to wait a lot longer, you know, feature is one linear, it's a one project and people will decide, you know, and they'll decide pretty quickly, I think how they, how they feel about it. But television, because it's ongoing and there's, you know, weekly releases and all that, it's like, you kind of like, I lay in waiting and, and terror, you know, every week. <laughs> Like, I hope they like it. I hope it lands, you know, and if mm-hmm. they don't like it, I want to know why. And like, I want to respond to that. And like, you know, just like to my, in myself, you know, and just like hear what they have to say and what would they have done. And like, I love still, I mean, again, because of how I came into the industry, I love fan fiction and, and I love, you know, fan art. And I, I think it's so wonderful. Um, believe very strongly in death of the author just as a concept creatively, because I think it inspires creativity. You know, I think like if somebody has a poor reaction to something um, and they want to do something different, I think it's great, you know, cause I'm like, great. Like that person wants to tell that story their way. Like this is the way mm-hmm. now it's got their brain kind of thinking like, well, how would I fix it? You know, how would I run? <laughs> I just think that's awesome. I think there's like no shame in that. So even if it, you know, is something that I contribute to or whatever that, doesn't go over well I can't think of any particular time that that's happened but like should it ever you know I'd kind of mm-hmm. be down with that. like I think that's fine you know and I think it's it's actually pretty cool um to inspire people to and again it's just I, I know that's how I got started so I'm like great then there will just be more people coming into this industry who care and want to tell stories about characters they care about and who are very passionate about you know why things should or shouldn't happen. And I just think that's cool. So yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, because I feel like there's a there's a huge crowd of people that love movies. I think the majority of people enjoy movies and television and things like that. But I feel like everyone latches on to different aspects of it and go and explore it. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That's the thing is, and it's so hard sometimes, I think, to, especially when you're writing protagonists, you know, to really get that character that, everybody's going to attach themselves to (laughs) difficult. And I think truly Mm -hmm. like it's why I kind of like a lot of villains because, you know, they're very dynamic and they're sort of able to be because they don't need to appeal to everybody, you know, like they've Mm -hmm. got like a little more room to make mistakes and to like mess up. And that's a very human trait, you know, and like, that's something you can find yourself dealing with. I think in storytelling sometimes is like, the perfect protagonist and you don't ever really, that's not relatable. Nobody really wants a perfect protagonist. So go really far the other direction where they're super clumsy and like, then that becomes like a trope, you know? And it's, so it's, it's very hard to write like a very relatable protagonist, but um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I just think that like, again, cast of characters for me is really important because then it's, opening it up to like, there's going to be somebody that loves Lance the most and they are, they're very, you know, passionate about that character. And then there's going to be, you know, people who love Cassandra and are like, no, she was right. She did nothing wrong. You know, and like, <laughs> like it's, there's something for everybody. And I think that like, that's wonderful. Um, I, I love casts of characters for that exact reason, because yeah, everybody attaches them to, you know, different traits of a character for different reasons and they're all super valid reasons and yeah so anytime somebody is sort of evolving on that with art I'm like awesome that resonated with you enough that then you're going to take it and you're going to put more art out into the world and I just think that's so cool so like yeah I love that I'm such a big supporter of that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I yeah yeah, I it's like what I do week to week is like 
you know, go through character stories, theorize about stuff. I love being able to have the chance to like put my own spin on how I perceive like characters. And so that's, Ooh. I'm glad that you, you feel like support that and acknowledge totally. that. And that's totally. super cool. Yeah. My opinion might be totally different than somebody else's. And that's awesome. Like, mm -hmm. I think they're all great, you know, like, and I think it's great that we can all love, you know, care the same characters in different ways. Like that, that, mm -hmm. that's really, that's what the goal is, right. With making a great protagonist is that so many different people relate for their own individual reasons. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that is the struggle and that is the pursuit <laughs> in animation is to make <laughs> kinds of protagonists who, yeah, resonate with so many different people. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's totally fine if it's for vastly different reasons, you know, nobody's really right. Like that character just kind of exists and you attach yourself to whatever you attach yourself to. And I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was your experience like transitioning over to Disney television animation to work on Tangled the series? Yeah. So, um, I had been on Smallfoot for a little over a year, I think at that point, and Sergio had departed from that project. Um, so it was sort of in like a limbo state. It happens, you know, in feature, there's a lot of stuff that can happen on any project, but, um, you know, I knew Sergio was off to pursue Klaus. I had actually the, had the great fortune to read. He had like a 114, 214 page document of like what Klaus was. And I don't know how far that followed them into the production of the film, but he was like, basically what we're doing right now is we're just like, I've written it sort of as a book with some illustrations and we're going to do that instead of a script. And I was like, oh, <laughs> know if that ended up happening at all but like he shared uh -huh. that either way so I kind of knew the bones of the project as it at least existed in that time I cried like three times reading it I was like this is gonna be amazing you know um Sergio is a dear friend too like I love he was just it was so that Smallfoot was such an interesting experience because when I was there because it was Sergio he was working out of Spa Studio so he was actually in Spain with his guys and so it was like oh. me this like 22, 23 year old girl at Warner Brothers, you know, first big feature gig, really. And then I would Skype pitch to him and all his veteran Disney animators at Spa. And I'm just like, hi, <laughs> just me. Like, it was literally just me at that studio on the Warner Brothers LA end and all of them created <laughs> on the board team at Spa in Spain. So like it was wild. And then eventually, um, I recommended somebody I had, um, been with at blue sky studios named, uh, Justin Gordon Montgomery, amazing, amazing board artist, storyteller, um, screenwriter. He does so much. Um, and he came and joined me eventually so there were two <laughs> at that point. Um, but you know, I think I was craving a little bit, the interactivity that I had at other jobs. Like I, mm -hmm. I missed a team around me. Um, and you know, then when Sergio left, I kind of felt like, Oh, I don't really know like what the movie is anymore. And like, I feel lonely. Like there's nobody here. Anymore. <laughs> so, um, I, it was just sort of timing. Um, I was reached out to about, uh, Tangled and, you know, Shane invited me and, and pitched the show. And I was like shocked that Shane Prigmore even knew who I was. He is, <laughs> I, I love Shane. Shane, another dear friend, amazing, like huge influence to me in college. Like I was studying his work, you know, as I was making my portfolio. So the fact that that guy knew 
who I was was like, like, you know, (laughs) Uh, but then he sat and he, you know, pitched through uh, the show with me and I was like, yes, yes, definitely. I want to do this. (laughs) Again, it was just, I was sold on character. I was sold on story. You know, um, there was this piece of Claire Keen art that the guy shared with me. It was so beautiful. Like it was just, I think it, maybe it makes its way into the show. I'm actually not sure um, if it did or not, or if it was recreated. Um, for the show, but it was this image of Cassandra and it was just all blue, like totally blue palette. And then this like red, red heart in her chest. And it was like Mm. the only difference of color on the page outside of black and blue. And it was from Rapunzel's journal. And she was just, you know, advocating for Cassandra saying, I know that there's still good inside my friend. Like, I know I can reach this in her. And I was just so beautiful. Like, I don't know. Like it was, I love that resilience, that spirit that Rapunzel has, you know, that she will not give up on her friends and that she constantly does try to seek out the good, you know, and for somebody who has been so wronged, you know, for (laughs) her life, you know, it never dampened that spark in her, you know, everybody talks about Rapunzel's an irrepressible spirit, you know, is the word that was always used, you know, that was the phrase that was Mm -hmm. used to um, describe her. And, so that that image really stuck with me, and like I was ready to go immediately onto that project, um, you know, because of the great talents that I knew that were going to be a part of it. You know, Bobby Pontius, Shane Prigmore, obviously, um, Mayuminos was another Taylor Cramble, like just amazing artists. I was so mm-hmm. fortunate to be around, um, and then yeah, the cast of characters and the story. I was like, I'm here for this. I love it. You know, I love Tangled, love Disney. So absolutely, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But- <laughs> They reached out to me and it was just, I just got, I was very fortunate that way that they thought of me. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you got put, you got put in the perfect position when you were, you were looking for a place to go and it came together. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was very fortunate. So at what point throughout the show, did you realize that Varian was your favorite character? How did, how did you start connecting with him? Well, you know, it's like, Definitely that initial pitch, you know, of mm-hmm. the character to me. I remember some beat boards. I don't think they've made their way on the internet yet. And I, I hope someday there's so much cool <laughs> development art for this show. Uh-huh. I hope someday, you know, somehow Chris and, you know, Ben are able to put it out there um, because it's really beautiful. Um, that show deserves an art of book for sure. Yeah. So many television shows deserve art of books, by the way, like so many. And so, yeah, there was this really cool concept art I remember seeing. Um, and I can't remember if it was Tom or, or Shane who did it of a variant and Rapunzel battling on the rocks. And like, I was like, oh, this is so cool, this character. He's just a kid. Like, who's this kid? And like, I was just <laughs> curious about him. And then Shane explained, you know, because I kind of went into Shane's office one day, you know, when I got handed What the Hair, uh, that script. And I was like, you know, what's this character, like, where are we going with him? Like, what's, what's he like? Is he like a young Hercules type of awkward? Like what kind of, you know, what are we seeing here? And, uh, just getting that insight to that character from Shane absolutely made me very excited. But I think where I really fell in love, it was just such a wonderful combination of things like Jeremy Jordan, you know, Chris had played me in office. Like I heard all the different options for Varian and I believe his daughters were very adamant about wanting Jeremy because he had been <laughs> in like Newsies and the last five years and they were big mm-hmm. on those things. Um, but he has such a natural charm to his voice and he 
played, Chris played two different things. And, you know, one was Varian, like, I'm Varian, <laughs> you know, being like a cute little alchemist kid. And then he played a moment that I don't think if it had been scripted, it was in the very early phases of Queen for a Day, like the mid-season turning point, um, mm-hmm. where he was like upset with Rapunzel and kind of angry and dark and the range on Jeremy Jordan was like, whoa, like this is so good. He can really go there with her in such a believable way. And he's still so fun here, you know? So um, hearing that and then certainly hearing him sing is like, oh my God, forget it. Um, But then (laughs) Ben Ballastieri coming in and finalizing, you know, taking that character design to the finishing line, like it was everything. Like it, it was just the character had very strong story roots the voice actor and the talent that Jeremy Jordan was able to bring to that character, you know, musically with Alan Macon and, you know, Glenn Slater contributing, like, and then just that awesome character design. Like I'm like, man, recipe for success. Like it was just (laughs) stuff of angels. So I, yeah, I thought I was just like, wow, this character is just phenomenal. Um, Cassandra is another, you know, fantastic example of just excellent character design and, you know, Eden Espinosa's voice, like, was just one wonderful thing about the show was the casting, you know, I mean, all yeah. those guys, such tremendous talents. And I often lament and think about, you know, and I'm humbled by the fact that I was able to board like what, like four or five Alan Menken songs at <laughs> 30. Like I'm never going to get to do that again. Like that's never going to happen again for me to be able to board like that many, even one more Alan Menken song. Like that's incredible. And like, I will Mm -hmm. always cherish that about the job and that will be my fondest memory is just the music and how inspired I was by it and how much I feel it was able to elevate my boards and my storytelling and just listening to even Alan's scratch, you know, of the music and how exciting it was. And, you know, anytime anybody had a song, you wanted to see it. You were just like, oh, like, mm-hmm. what you're working on? Like, I got to know. I gotta... <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was just awesome. So, but I think just what, whenever the first moment came that we saw all those pieces together with Varian, I was like, wow, like, this is such an awesome character. Like, he's just mm-hmm. such a cool kid. Yeah. So love yeah. it. Oh yeah. Tangled tangled is truly like a testament to what can be achieved introducing new characters and expanding a, a work, especially through a series like they did like it bringing on Alan Menken and bringing on Broadway performers for pretty much the, all of the side characters that were recurring was an incredible and a really smart decision. I can't believe it's not done more. Like yeah, that, it was no. just such a great use of resources to, to do yeah, that. It's incredible casting, just incredible. Cause yeah, every single artist was able to elevate and find those characters and I'll think about those characters till the day I die. Like I, I, they're so <laughs> memorable to me and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so, they're so dear to my heart, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so were there any specific moments? Yeah. I guess you kind of said though, the Alan Menken moments, was there like a specific Alan Menken song that you got to do that like stood out to you? Like what was your favorite moment that you got to help create? Oh yes. Oh yes. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, Let Me Make You Proud was um, Mm -hmm. the song that I boarded and that like one of the songs that I boarded, but I wasn't, it was not my first, but it was the first Varian song. And 
I knew it was going to be in the big episode, you know, where his turning point was. And there was sort of a lot of goodwill I had to buy with the song, you know, remind everybody why we love Barry and why he's so good, you know, why he's a good boy and a wonderful character right before we <laughs> hurt him <laughs> and, and everyone else who cares about him very badly. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, there was, I mean, that song is so forward moving, you know, motivated by what he has to do to try to save his dad. And, you know, he's such a forward moving character. I relate so much to him because he has this sort of ambition that's a little beyond his capabilities, right, in the season one, you know, version of Varian. And I related to that extremely as a very young board artist who is being given Alan Macon songs for <laughs> and say, you know, don't mess it up. Like, you know, I felt very out of my depth at times, but very eager to prove that, like, I cared and that I was capable. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's that character, right? So, you know traveling treating it as a travel song to me felt right um because you know it's it's a moment to sit with the character and really get in his headspace and also to put him through a couple trials and and show him overcoming and build and build and build him up right before the collapse right (laughs) so um it's it's horrible we're bad people (laughs) (laughs) but we have fun um so yeah like i think um I naturally kind of wanted to have it be a very intimate, very, this is really happening moment. You know, we did Mm -hmm. talk about going into his head and having it be a very fantastical kind of like very enslaying dragons type moment. But for me, I argued very strongly in favor of like, let's just be with him. Like, let's just really have a moment with this character to hear him out, you know, about what he's, what his wants are. This is his I want song, you know? And so, um, yeah, I'm pleased with with that. And I think it was just to be working, A, on my first, like, variant song because I was so, at that point, so attached, you know, to that character and knowing it was going to be Jeremy. I couldn't wait to hear the Jeremy version. I I still hear, I don't even know that I know the correct lyrics <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> it really is because I remember certain Alan Menken lyrics and iterations and, you know, there's this petty thing that I think about sometimes that I'm like, Ugh, like I'm so frustrated because I boarded it specifically to the scratch, the temp music, right? Mm. And they're used for piano um, in the temp music. And there was this kind of like key that got hit, you know, like in a dun, dun, dun. And there was a tempo to it. And the part where he's walking and the backgrounds are fading behind him to show the travel time was supposed to be like a hard cut on each of the beats and then oh. taken out. So then they transitioned with like a, fade to the next one and I was like no you know but like so I was very attached it was very very (laughs) song um but yeah it was it was such fun um and again I think just knowing that that song was a preamble for a really meaningful moment with this character and his journey on the show was like very Mm. exciting um, so that I think just for the memory of that, well, it will be my favorite moment that I boarded my favorite song that I boarded. Um, I did also really like boarding, um, everything I ever thought I knew, um, was the Eugene song just cause again, uh-huh. I, think I just like quiet moments with characters. Like, I mean, there was the struggle on that, you know, and sort of the directive on that was like, we don't want just a song with a guy in a room singing and walking around. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, that's really hard. And I'd actually pitched a version of that song where 
Eugene was in the castle library and maybe reading some Flynn Rider books. And then maybe we go into the book and some watercolor art starts happening and we see him, you know, living his life as Flynn Rider. And like, I don't know, there was like a weird artsy way of handling, you know, that version. Um, and then ultimately it kind of went in a paper manny direction. <laughs> but, you know, like, <laughs> there's some fun visuals in that song that I really like. Um, and also just exactly by the music. I mean, I'm romanced by the music. I mean, so often mm -hmm. on the show, you know, it's just such great music. But yeah, Let Me Make You Proud is definitely like very, very special to me. Um, it felt like I did help out on, I did the Wind in My Hair reprise. That was me. And I helped out on Life After Happily Ever After. And I did Wind in My Hair also. I did a lot of songs in the first yeah. decom movie, actually. <laughs> um, I forgot. Gosh, it's been so long. Um, but but for some reason, Let Me Make You Proud felt like the first one that was really mine. Like, that was the one that, like, I really, like, without any help, sort of, you know, outside of, of course, my director, revisions, whatever. Um, but, like, that I was sort of given, I was like, okay, Caitlin, like, here's the song, go do it. And it happened times, you know, since then. Um, but that one, I was just like, oh, like, it's, it's my favorite character. It's my first one by myself. So, yeah, it's very special to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that let me make you proud and really queen for a day was what really sold me on the show. Like that's when I finally realized like, Oh, there's, there's some deep, there's like lore that's going to happen. There's like these really emotional yeah. character moments. Like th they're pushing beyond just being a tangled show. Yeah. And, totally. and <laughs> the music really, really got solidified for me as well. Like the music is what I turn to the most now that there's some distance on the show. It's the music that keeps coming Absolutely. back for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what you want to keep replaying and keep listening to. Mm -hmm. I still sing those songs, you know, like <laughs> yep. I've been off the show for two years and I'm still like pulling up karaoke instrumentals on YouTube. Like I got to bust out. Yeah. I got a belt <laughs> Sandra song today for this yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, totally, I agree. I think the soundtrack, the, you know, like the actual music tracks, too, that are out. Um, there's a couple now, I think. Mm -hmm. um, beautiful, beautifully scored show. Um, beautiful looking show. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the music, I 100% agree. Um, it's just, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so a bit after the show concluded, I found out about the project Varian and the Seven Kingdoms, which I realized before this call was actually created by you and another crew member who also worked on Tangled. Could you talk about what that was and how it began? Yeah. So, yeah, Varian and the Seven Kingdoms um, was a thing that Anna Lencioni and I uh, developed, uh, hoping to do a spinoff show, right? That was the dream. Um, mm -hmm. But then kind of focusing more on something that maybe was a little easier to achieve just, you know, for us um, in taking it to Disney publishing as like a comic, you know, so we were talking with them. And ultimately, what happened was, you know, they if it's a tangled thing, they want Rapunzel, that was sort of and Varian's mm -hmm. existence was really tied to tangled. So I think they just felt like, eh, like, is there enough of a following a demographic? I know that there is for me <laughs> to make it right, but for Disney to invest and in, we understand. So um, that was sort of why it didn't happen, but they loved it. I mean, they were super enthusiastic about what we pitched. Um, they wanted us actually to remove him um, and to sort of rebrand it, you know, with like, make it like mm -hmm. an original character and, 
there was a version of that story that we could tell. Absolutely. But I think Anna and I just felt so strongly connected to Varian that we were like, no, like this is his, you know, is like coming of age. And this is like, you know, for Punzel got seasons two and three and, you know, to sort of go out and explore, like, this is his time to do that. We wanted to age him up. We wanted to like have him really be treated as the adult. He always tries to be treated as, you know, and Mm -hmm. to really actually, you know, earn that and achieve that for himself. So, um, you know, that was just an, a perspective on that character we were excited to try to explore. So, yeah, um, we we planned out pretty much the whole thing start to finish. Um, but we we just did like three sample pages to show them like, oh, here's like what we were thinking, you know, and Chris and Ben had given us their blessing. You know, they knew very much about it um, and had given us advice and feedback. And um, so, yeah, they were super supportive of it. Um but yeah, no, it wasn't to be. It's sad, but I, I mean, it's taken on such a life. I mean, I was just going to like dump the art and be like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> this was <laughs> right. Like for me, it's like a Tuesday, but foolish me. Like I didn't, of course, <laughs> I don't know how I could have underestimated the passion of the Varian fandom. I mean, they're the best, you know, they're they're They love him. And I think they were excited to maybe see, you know, that like two people who worked on the show had wanted to evolve the show you know and of course it's not canon like nothing that (laughs) is canon it's exactly what I was saying earlier you know about like it's our version it's the thing we attached ourselves to that we wanted to see him go off to do or you know thought might be fun to explore um it was in its very early phases before any kind of like real creative feedback would have been given or those ideas would have even been challenged by anybody other than Anna or myself um, so it really is just like, bleh. like, here's like the first, you know, <laughs> version of this thing, but to see what fans have done with it, you know, whether they've taken characters out and replaced them with their OCs or they're like, meh, I don't like it. Here's my version instead. I love it. I'm like, great. Like, I'm just so happy that people love the character enough to have an opinion, you know, and yeah. I think those opinions are more than valid, but I am so overwhelmed like it's like almost every day I see a new piece of fan art for that thing and it just like I'm so sad it couldn't happen I'm so sad I don't have the time to do it you know myself or Anna um but it means so much to us that people that it resonated with people that people wanted to see it that they've shown their support with like animation and and comics and fan art and fan fiction and it's really incredible um Mm -hmm. so yeah that's it it makes me excited about like future endeavors, you know, cause, like I think there, you know, I think there's things about that story that like when I make my own like original content, like it's, you know, it's my tone of voice. Like, and I think like just knowing that that resonates with people makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, you know, just seeing the love for Varian, that's all we wanted to give him, you know, it was just more <laughs> opportunity to be loved by people. So yeah, mm-hmm. but so I don't, I, I like drew like a little doodle, like some like mask, like propaganda, <laughs> propaganda. <laughs> wear a mask. I am saying that in this video. Um, it's the first time I've doodled those guys in so long. Um, but yeah, it's, it feels like home. Like I love those characters. They're so fun for us. Um, I'm sad that we didn't really get to like explore them further. But again, I love that it was just, it could just be food for, you know, other artists to yeah. do whatever to do with like it's so cool it's like a crazy lab experiment um (laughs) seeing what people grow with it is incredible so yeah it's it's awesome I get so excited every time I see new content it's really cool (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I was like 
I, I clamored to it. Like I, I went to it immediately. Like it was the, I, as soon as I saw anything about like Varian's mother uh, and like a yeah. Varian adventure, I was like, Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the kind of things, you know, there's so much that you try to accomplish over the course of a show like that. There were so mm. many, you know, especially with right. Like such a great cast of characters. You want to know everybody's, I would watch a Lance spinoff. I'd watch yep. a cast spinoff angry and red. Like I would, <sighs> Any one of those characters, I want to know everything about them. And so that, yeah, that was just mm-hmm. like, we attached to Varian and we were like, well, what's, yeah, like we didn't get really get to talk about mom. Like, what was the deal there? Like, what could we do there? You know, we kind of lightly got into alchemy as it applies to his very polarized relationship with alchemy versus, you know, magic. Like, <laughs> what if, if we're in pursuit of alchemy, which sort of requires both, like, what could that be like for his journey, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah, the idea of his mother, I don't know how how much you've read about like what our intention for the story really was. But um, the intention for his mother actually to sort of play like the villain role in that story came from Chris. Um, it was his suggestion, actually um, something we hadn't really considered because um, we were just excited to meet mom. And then he was like, you know, what if like, and we were like, cool. like, <laughs> to have the crazy plot twist. Um, but you know, like the idea that that dark streak in him is, I think is how he put it, like came from her, like was an interesting concept. And the idea, Mm -hmm. I think moreover that he's able to sort of like guide her through, you know, that evil to the other side, like with what he's learned, you know, having gone through it himself and having been changed by Rapunzel and having then tried to change Cassandra. Like I loved the kind of bookending that for him as a character, you know, as part of his journey. Um, and yeah, you know, certainly kids gone through it, right? Like, (laughs) so yeah, there's a lot for him to overcome emotionally in a story like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, same, like we were totally like, wow, what could we want to know more about like mom and like the alchemy stuff and yeah, all that. So we, that was just our playground for exploring that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah effectively fan fiction just from two artists who were very passionately involved in the project you know mm-hmm. very intimately so oh yeah it opened up a whole new can of worms and it was it was super fun to be able to like revive some excitement over the show so yeah, it was it much was. appreciated it was at a time when i kind of i that was kind of why i posted it when i did i was like okay like you know shows aired like sober you know and then it was like like my (laughs) notifications were going I had to like close like all my dms because like I just (laughs) and there's it was it's so hard to speak to it as a project to be honest because it didn't even find its legs really like these are just this is like the the remnants of the first conversation we theoretically (laughs) had about what it could be so there's mm-hmm. not a lot that's concrete about it. None of it's canon. Like it was just like literally like it, it's almost like you're opening up my personal sketchbook and I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like um, that's why I'm so comfortable to just let people do with it what they will, you know, because I think as long as it can serve to inspire and it's just, you know, more fun food for the people who love the character, like then, you know, mission accomplished in, in my book, you know, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. After Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure had completed, what was the process like to transition to working on Monsters at Work? First as a supervisor and then to director. So this is like my favorite story to tell. Um, (laughs) This is going back to what I was saying about how the fear never goes away. (laughs) Uh, You know, Monsters, by nature of right what it is, a 3D show, even just that 
of itself. Um, you know, uh, they wanted people to test for that show because it's very different. It's very different than what, you know, TVA kind of classically does, I think, in terms of their pipeline, in terms of how people are used to boarding. And it's just a very, it's more like feature. It's a, it's a very different type of show. Um, so I think they just wanted to test people to see, like, can they kind of tap into what Monsters is, what this type of production needs to be. So, um, hadn't taken a test in a while. <laughs> so I was nervous already, you know, about that, especially because I love Monsters so much. And I was like, I really want to work on this show. Like, I'm very curious about it. And I, I want to do a good job. Um, and I went in and I met, you know, with the leads at that point in time. And we talked about the prompt, you know, what it what it was. And it was pretty simple prompt. Um, and pretty straightforward prompt. And they were like, you know, you don't got to worry about like adding any dialogue or like, it's kind of pantomime you know, so just, like, physical comedy. Um, you don't have to add characters, you know, just focus on these two. I was like, okay. Um, so I, I thought about it for, like, longer than I worked on it. <laughs> I thought about it for, like, a week, and I worked on it for, like, two days. Um, but I, I was so stumped for a minute because, I don't know, like, it was like I went into this, like, blind like fugue state and I just boarded what felt right to me and but when I did that I added dialogue I added characters I changed the location I wrote a song like I did so <laughs> much than what they had advised me to do and so I did it I was happy with it I finished it I looked at it and then I was like they're gonna hate this <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, like they're gonna think I'm so disrespectful. Like I didn't follow the prompt. I didn't follow the directive. Like, what was I thinking? You know? Um, and I cried about it. I was so <laughs> I didn't want to like submit it. I was like, they're gonna be so mad. Like, I wonder if I could ask for an extension and then just redo it with like following the rules, right? But um, in fact, that was what got me the promotion was the fact that I just elevated and changed things and that that I wasn't afraid to kind of like take it beyond what the initial prompt was. So mm -hmm. that actually turned out to be a really good thing. And it was, it was just sort of a preamble to a very supportive story room, really. So I think they loved what I did. They, they thought it was completely correct for what the show, you know, is. And um, yeah, I think that they really loved that I explored it in story and that I, you know, tried to push it beyond just what the little paragraph was on the page. So I like had gotten called in and I knew it was to review the test. And so I was like, Oh my God, Oh my God. I, was like, so scared. <laughs> like, I can't wait to get yelled at and told that like I'm fired or whatever catastrophizing I was doing. <laughs> and yeah, they were like, so actually they want to make you a story supervisor on the show. It would be a promotion. And I was like, what? And they told me that it was a blind test. So uh, there were many people who applied and like my name was not shared until after the pitch of my work mm. so that made me feel even better because there's no like it's completely anonymous like it was just them focusing on the work and so I felt like that came at a time when I really needed it like I really needed to feel like my voice was because you know the variant thing fell through and I was super bummed and like I was just like Ugh, like my ideas are bad and like I was sad and so like it really mm -hmm. boosted me again and made me feel like I could trust my my storytelling voice and um yeah, then I was a uh, story supervisor on the show for like a little under a year, I think. And then I got promoted to episodic director. Um, and that was sort of just a change that happened due to a lot of production 
changes. Like, I think the show, we were just realizing fully, you know, because it's the first, like, real kind of thing like it for Disney+. And it's very mm-hmm. different workflow for television animation than sort of even the standard 3D shows that they produce. So there's a lot of recalibration that happened over the course of the show um, in mm-hmm. story and otherwise. So that was just one of the things that happened. It was sort of, sort of like, okay, we're going to pay you for what you're really doing. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to change the title to fit really what's happening here. So it was really just like beneficial to me that, yeah, it was I was being recognized for the work that I was doing. Um, so it wasn't like a tremendous change. I got a little more... I think say in things a little more involvement in sort of the editorial and art phases of things. But of course, yes, Steve is my supervising director. So he's, I'm like, you know, his number two. Um, Mm -hmm. And I couldn't work with a better guy. I mean, like we are so symbiotic in our storytelling sensibilities and the things that we like in our humor. Like he just totally gets me and I feel like I really get him and he's the nicest. He's very encouraging. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, even just things like, for me, you know, directing, like I felt a lot like I needed to kind of be back at the office with the board artists and kind of like make myself a resource to anybody who might need me. So for things like records, you know, I would let Steve go and like handle those things. But he was always trying to be like, hey, like come to the records, like come sit and like, you know, watch. <laughs> and I was like, I, it felt like a luxury to me for my position. Um, but he was always encouraging me. He's like, I know you're going to be a supervising director one day. I want you to have this experience. Like he was just, <laughs> best. and so I finally did it. I finally got to sit in on some records virtually. Um, now that we're in the work from home, um, mm-hmm. and it's thanks to him, you know, because he's just always advocated for me. I've never felt talked over. Like he, we're, I'm so fortunate to have my first real directing experience be like with him, like symbiotic in tandem with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been awesome. I mean, the show is just so inviting of, of collaboration on story at every phase of production, by the way, like script story, you know, scouting in, in 3d previs, you know, layout phase. And then the art department, like every single person has their story hat on. And I've never worked with a team of like, just everyone's a problem solver. There's nobody Mm -hmm. sitting who's griping and just complaining. It's like, everybody is, trying to find a solution and it's it's just such a positive team and I really think it's reflected in the final product like I'm I'm so excited so very (laughs) (laughs) oh that's that's great to hear I I'm glad you're having such a great experience being able to talk to Steve he was he's an amazing person to be able to chat with so I'm glad that that you know, carries over into all of his work and (laughs) definitely applies and he uses that experience to to do good and to lead a great project has producing a Disney plus series felt any different than working on a Disney channel series. Like what are the differences like for that? Like for some reason I was picturing like two totally completely different buildings and everything like that. But what has your experience been like? We're the same building, you know, right now Mm -hmm. we're, um, we are TVA, you know, and we're working mm-hmm. with Disney Plus as the distributor and, of course, with Pixar as the, you know, sort of mothership of <laughs> this is where, <laughs> you know, the, this is the what's it called in, in sourdough terms, the mother loaf or whatever. No <laughs> <laughs> terms, you know, <laughs> like, so they're, you know, they're the people who are responsible for monsters. So we've got to do right by them. And, um, you know, collaborating with all those different people, it's a amazing. I mean, we get such great feedback um, from everybody and everybody is so, again, story caps on very much asking the questions of like, why should 
this exists? What are, what is our story intention? You know, what are we saying? Um, is this the story we want to tell? What are these characters? Just everybody's really bringing it. And so we're so fortunate to get all that feedback. Um, of course it can be challenging at times, you know, because it's a lot of feedback. Um, but it has every iteration of an episode as it's progressed has been better. Like every, it has just elevated it so tremendously. And I really think people are going to be very surprised by how, like the quality of this show compared to, I don't know what people's expectations are. I know only what my (laughs) expectations were and they have definitely gone beyond that. (laughs) So like, (laughs) yeah, I think it'll really show in, in the product. Um, but yeah, I mean, Disney classically cares about character and, you know, that type of storytelling. I think that's why I've been here, you know, for like five years now is like that, that's the stuff of Disney, right? Is just mm-hmm. strong character, strong story and taking those characters on emotional and, you know, action-packed adventures. And so in that regard, it feels very similar, you know, to, to Tangled, you know, which was very exclusively a TVA thing. Um, like it's another great cast of characters that we get to take on these journeys and, and see them grow and, and see ourselves in their growth. And I'm just so grateful to continue to be part of that with this company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you outline what fans of Monsters Inc. specifically um, w- can expect from the series? Like, how will this look, feel, and fit into the story we kind of already know, based on what you're able to say about it? Of course. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, what was said at D23. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely like a direct sequel like it takes place like the day after you know like water noose gets taken away basically Mm -hmm. so it's sort of nestled in you know between the the true ending right of the movie with the door and everything um and Mm -hmm. the moment where water noose is taken off and we're sort of that like eight, I think our showrunner, Bob Zagatoway, I think he did the math and it's like eight months. If you look at <laughs> Sully's chart at the end of the movie and the graph <laughs> power and how it's going for them, we're that graph. We are mm-hmm. what represents that graph. So all the blips in the, Ooh, is laugh power going to do it? You know, like that's what our show is exploring. Um, so it's really the transition to laugh power and following our protagonist, uh, Tyler Tuskman as a recent graduate of monsters university who just got hired top of his class best since James P. Sullivan to be a scarer. And what's this? The day he arrives, we're not scaring anymore. We're <laughs> laughing. And so this poor kid just like, what am I, what does that mean for me? Like, what am I supposed to do? And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know about you, but as a young person in today's world, I think that feeling of what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Lost like place in the world as it's changing constantly is so relatable. And I was so mm-hmm. excited to to work with that perspective um, from a character very close to like my age, you know, and kind of like fresh out of college. I mean, I'm not fresh out of college anymore, but you know, <laughs> you know, like just kind of like that college perspective. We haven't really seen a ton of that in mm-hmm. like television, right? Like yeah. for so, I was excited to um, to deal with that sort of like you know, and Rapunzel's story is similar, right? Where she's mm-hmm. for the first time really kind of able to go out and be an adult and, you know, have adult adventures and 
like find herself as like a young woman. And I think that, you know, it's similar that way. I think I'm just attracted to those kinds of stories right now because they really, I relate to them. Like that's, I'm trying to find my way too. And so, um, yeah, like I, I'm very excited about that. And I would say there's characters that you love and that you miss and that you want to see. And we, have lots of that, but we also, I am very proud of the new characters and I think you're going to love them too. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, one thing that really greatly reassured me was anytime a new board artist came onto the show, you know, of course, everybody's excited, you know, to see the characters they know, but then they're also like, Oh, I can't wait to, you know, get back to so-and-so on, you know, and (laughs) there's that same excitement for these new guys. And that makes Mm -hmm. me really happy. That makes me feel like we've done a good job of, of, yeah, we've done our job, you know, we've made, you know, some new friends. So I'm very excited for the new friends. Like that's what I can't wait for. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it'll, I think it'll be very rewarding for, I mean, like I'm a huge fan of Monsters Inc and I'm stoked. So (laughs) (laughs) to sell as hard as I can, like that's, you know, my perspective. So. Oh yeah. I mean, I was just getting chills listening to you talk about it because for me, it was like I grew up with Monsters Inc and saw Monsters University my like junior year of high school. So yeah, it was, was like college. So yeah, yeah it's like, it was like yeah. perfectly transitioning. Now hearing about this and having like this whole audience of people that have grown up with the series yeah. and now are going through that same type of thing. I'm like, oh my goodness. The I know. Story's aging with the audience so well. <laughs> really great. Like I think, yeah, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, putting our, our main character, Tyler, at a place that's you know, a little younger than like people like me who were at the college phase when the college movie got, it's like, it'll, it'll give them somewhere to grow with it too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, I think it was, is such a wonderful decision um, to go that way with the story. And I, again, I think that feeling is like just the world right now, like, you know, the uncertainty of life, I think that resonates with everybody, you know, whether you're a college grad or not, you know, I think that feeling of like, Oh, I thought I knew, you know, I thought I knew everything. I thought I had a place, you know, I thought I knew what that place was. I thought I had this assurance of self. And anytime you take that away, I think we've all experienced a feeling like that, you know, that pitfall of like, I thought I knew and now I don't know. And now I'm panicked. And what's my new plan? Like, it's just inherently. Oh, yeah. Certainly seeing that through the lens of a Pixar world, you know, a world as fun as Monster, you know, Monstropolis and Monsters, Inc. is great. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's a really funny show. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that sounds great. It it makes me even more excited to be able to watch it as soon as, as soon as I can. As soon oh. as they, yeah, I feel like I can't remember if we have like a concrete date or not. I think it's, I know it's 2021 now. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say it's like spring or summer of 2021. So yeah, I'll be counting down the days. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> mm-hmm. fair, fair, very fair, very fair. Um, so where do you see your journey going after Monsters at Work? Do you have any things that you're really shooting to be able to do in the future or anything yeah. like that? Yeah, this is a very big theme in my life right now. <laughs> As I discuss with um, my agents and with Disney and with, you know, many people, like, yeah, that question of like, what do you want to do? Like, I feel like the mic is being handed to me and I'm like, uh, ooh, is this, oh, I think it's off. Like, <laughs> I am thinking a lot about that. And I think just to speak a little bit to what I just said, you know, sort of that truth of perspective from like the 20, 30 year old vantage point, right? Like, I don't feel like it's 
there's a lot of really great content out there, but I'm, I still feel myself like I don't see exactly like my voice represented, mm-hmm. right? Like fully, like I just want to put stuff out there. I think that like would resonate with me growing up. Like I've seen like a really big shift with like, like female protagonists and stuff with like, we want like girl power and like they all have to be really strong and really brave. And like, I wasn't that kid, you know, growing up, like I was very timid and shy and kind of like meek and like, I don't know, like I kind of want to, like, I think that's why I like Varian again, like in that cast of characters, they were sort of, you know, in Seven Kingdoms, they were meant to be underdogs who like rise up. And I'm very much about characters rising up and like putting something that inspires people to continue to press on and like, you know, Mm -hmm. evolve themselves. And so I want to put stories like that out into the world that come from like, they feel like they come from like how people really talk now, you know, and just sort of like, you know, like there's everything, not everything I'm speaking very generally, but like, (laughs) just want like a tone that feels like real to me. So like, I guess I'm Mm -hmm. just trying to put something out that like speaks to me and resonates with me. And I think also I'm curious about like how we can sort of expand on what adult animation is like, Mm -hmm you know, animated storytelling for adults, you know, not in the sense that we all kind of know where it's very crass or, you know, <laughs> the humor is like very racy, but just like horror, for example, right? I love horror. I'm like a huge horror movie fan. And I would love to see an animated horror movie or series that really truly gets to live in the horror space and kind of be more mature that way. Um, but I don't know what that looks like because we haven't seen it yet. And so I'm I'm curious about, you know, that and we're starting to, right? We're starting to, there's certain projects and things, you know, on Netflix or, you know, around, um, but just in the the sense of like carrying over that really great sense of character and storytelling and all those sort of fundamental things that you see executed so well in in children's entertainment, right? Or family entertainment, but then applying that to types of stories that we really only see in live action for adults. Like, how can we marry them? I'm curious about it. I'm trying to, I'm exploring mm-hmm. it now. I'm really asking myself a lot of these kinds of questions. <laughs> how, how do you do it? And like, how far do you want to go? And like, what is the tone? And yeah, so mm-hmm. I'm thinking about that kind of stuff. And um, my own life experiences are what I have, you know, right, to bring to the table. And certainly I want to invite other people to tell their stories. So I, I think again, I'm like, I'm looking for like the cast of characters, you know, that I can, that I like, you know, feel something for and developing that. So I have a couple different things I'm working on and um, just looking to the horizon of like, what's my next, you know, gang? Like who's the, who's the next gang I get to hang out with? Because that's what it feels like, right? Like every time I like hop onto a new project, it's like, who's this cast of characters that I get to like help tell their story. So yeah, but I think I think that'll forever be sort of the journey, right? Is like even when you conclude any project, it's like, all right, who are the new friends I get to make? Like, who are these people, and you know, what's their story? So mm-hmm. I think it's that. Yeah. Yeah, that that sounds really exciting. I really like the idea of that you brought up about like, especially like a female character not necessarily being like born with all of this like ability yeah. to like be brave and fight against everything and like establish their own course, like through every action they take. But it's like discovering that, especially like in themselves and going through that road of discovery. And yeah, I I really like the idea of 
telling adult stories in animation without yeah. without all of the like I and really like making it still. I don't know if this is necessarily where you want to go with it, but like, I think they can still be accessible. Like Ratatouille and up don't like, they can appeal to so many people, even though it can still be consumed with the whole family, but it becomes more impactful as you get older. I agree. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of what we haven't really seen. Right. Is like Mm -hmm. just something that is animated that maybe has like horror genre elements or something, you know, more mature, but like mm-hmm. still, you know, isn't so far out that like it's inaccessible, like you said, to yep. to other people. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a it's a lot to think about, um, you know, and it's it can be intimidating when there's so few examples, you know. There's not <laughs> yeah, when you're pushing the medium forward, <laughs> fall on that way, and so I'm just here theorizing, and I know when it happens, I'm gonna want to be involved, you know, in whatever mm-hmm. whoever is the first person to. It's a thing that many people have talked about, you know. I think the animation industry really wants to see it, um, but mm-hmm. there is sort of like that trepidation a little bit, I think, about it. So, but yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, you know, like we, we lived in a world of animated storytelling, I think for a very long time where women were in one corner where it was like, you know, love interest, damsel, that sort of corner. Right. And then they kind of got put into this other corner of like, I I see like two tropes (laughs) and it's like strong, doesn't give a damn about, you know, anything type of girl Mm -hmm. or clumsy optimist. And that's, (laughs) there's three. Now we have three types of girls and I, I still don't feel like any of these girls. I think there's such a bigger spectrum than this. And I think mm-hmm. like anything like that, any representation, you know, I think, um, you know, when there's more of it, you know, it, it becomes okay. But like, there's so little, like there's so little a spectrum. And so yeah. when you only have one shot to make an impact in the yeah. world. And I think that's, and it's all good intentions, right? This yep. it's, I don't an overcorrection but I think like when you finally got the spotlight on a girl you really want to see her succeed you really want to see her like be very strong and very powerful and I think that that's great there's nothing wrong with that at all but like again spectrum right there's other like mm-hmm. any like what everything we've talked about like I just feel like where's the weird girl <laughs> like, where's the <laughs> quiet girl like who finds strength in other ways that's not so you know so we're mm-hmm. getting there I think more than ever we're getting there, you know, in animation. Yep. I just want to throw my hat in, you know, like just like mm-hmm. so um yeah, I think that's really important to me is just to sort of diversify the types of female characters that we really do see um in casts of characters, you know, and more of them, just more. So that's really important to me. Um and if it can be a little spooky, then I love it, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. Factors. So yeah. <clears throat> well, Finally, Caitlin, I want you to tell the listeners what you feel is the number one piece of advice that would help them follow their dreams. I think that you have to be very true to yourself. I know that sounds like there's a star, (laughs) but like what I mean by that is like make the kind of content that you really want to make, you know, like I think there's this sort of, you know, advice that gets given for for boarding or for portfolios in general, that's like only draw what you would be willing to draw. You know, like if you don't love to do prop design for cars, you know, don't do a bunch of really awesome prop designs for cars or you're going to get hired to do it and then you're going to be miserable. (laughs) 
you know, do what you got to do. But just to say, like, if you put out in your portfolio what the kind of content, you know, that you want to make, then, like, I think you have a better chance of those projects kind of finding you and of finding projects that are fulfilling to you. And mm-hmm. I would say that once you're in the story room, you know, if you're able to get into the story room, speak your truth, speak your perspective, you know, that's why you're there. It's valued. I think I was afraid that that wasn't the case at points in my career, but then I had it reaffirmed. And I think that, you know, whether it's affirmed or not, that's something I can't deny in myself is I have to speak up. I have to offer that perspective. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's right. Best idea wins in the room always, no matter who it comes from. Right. But like, it's still important to voice it. And I think everybody, again, it's why I love fan fiction, fandom, all of it, because I, I think we need a multitude of voices in storytelling. I think we need so many more voices and different voices. And so I think like bringing your authenticity and your truth and your experience to whatever project you work on mm-hmm. is the, it, that's, that's only you can do it, you know? Right. So I think that is invaluable and, and gaining confidence and honing your craft so that you can most effectively do that is the best recipe for success that I've seen amongst my peers and the people I respect, you know, the highest. So I think it's, it's just that challenge of, of learning to trust yourself and help yourself tell your story, but to always trust your gut and your instinct um, for your storytelling and your voice. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be true to yourself. Put that out there. I, I think that's great advice. It's, it's been incredible to hear your perspective on being in the animation industry and how you've navigated it and be able to hear where you are. Thank you so much for coming out on the podcast, Caitlin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun. I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great to hear. <laughs> um, To all of you who are listening, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And as I continue to share the stories of people who are following their passions and achieving their dreams, it'd mean a lot if you shared this podcast with a friend. To all of you fun people who are out in the world, thank you so much for listening and have a magical day.